Dennis Levick. This is my lovely wife, Tracy. Hi, I'm John Rudnick. We're Barry and Anita Chenault. My name's Edward Devlin. My name is Rosalie Devlin. Hi, we are Brent and Sheila Howell. My name is Matt Leesman. Hi, my name is Hannah Rollins. My name's Chad Peterson. able to spend a year at Coastal Chesapeake with the First Impressions team. When we were trying to decide if we were going to go to Chesapeake or not, I mean, we did spend quite a bit of time praying. We would spend time in the car. Uh, we drove over, sat in the parking lot, and we, we prayed there. It was just part of our daily prayer, and we continued to pray well, through Chesapeake and serving in the First Impressions. We prayed a lot about what was going on there and and hoping to grow and just seeing how things went. We want to reach people, and there are lost and hurting and lonely and broken people everywhere. And so if we can join together and pray for those campuses, we don't know where God might lead us. So to see that campus grow, even just while we were there, there were new families that were coming and people were committing their membership. There were children, the children's area was growing. And I know that that will continue. And just that mix of people that God brought together to, to start it and to kick it off. I'm just so, it was such a privilege to be part of that. And I'm so overwhelmed that we got to be there. And every time that we hear about Coastal Chesapeake and we see our friends, we're excited. We're so excited about what God is doing there. And we know that he's going to continue it. Good morning, guys. Great to see you, Barry and Anita. Thank you. One-year commitment driving from, I guess, Yorktown all the way down to Chesapeake to help develop our First Impressions team down there. So, uh, man, just incredible. Uh, thank you. For those, uh, you know, I saw Ron and Betsy Davis. I'll call you guys out. I saw you guys at the 8 o'clock this morning. They usually sit with their family at 930 and uh, they got tired of me yelling at the 930 service saying, I need some of you to shift to 8. Uh, so I'm going to caveat that, if, and I'll tell the 930 this. If you are a church member that has been here longer than me, you don't have to listen to me. And you can, stay, you can worship at whatever service you want to, okay? So uh, Ron and Betsy, thank you for making the shift. Do me a favor, get your Bible out. Turn with it to Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. And, uh, you know, while you're getting that out, we're in the middle of our small group season. So be in a small group. That's one of our announcements this morning. Be in a small group. It will refresh you. It will grow you. You'll be in community. That's where we do soul care. Uh, we have booklets on the way out. We can go to our website. Uh, we have a small group for you. Sign up, okay? You prepare for your small group by taking notes. So make sure you get your note sheet out and take some notes. We do sermon-based small groups. We also are offering a class for your children in regards to baptism. Now, we don't do infant baptism. We do believer's baptism. But I know a lot of times parents, your kids, your kids get a little older, they start asking about being baptized. And so we have a class for them that will help teach them. And if you want to go and attend that, let us know. Love for you to be a part. And, uh, and then finally, we have a women uh, worship night coming up. We're calling it Faithful. That's in November. So ladies, mark your calendar. Just a night of worship uh, music. It's going to be fantastic. And so, uh, so mark your calendars for that. Um, I'll tell you what, I am, um, I'm just blown away by you guys as a church and what the Lord is doing. I just continue to scratch my head and, um, and praise the Lord uh, for what he's doing through the ministry of Coastal. I think uh, last, the, over the weekend at our four campuses, we did uh, our We Are Coastal class, which is our membership class. I think we had almost 100 attend all the classes 
uh, which is just amazing that God is drawing people to this church and and you guys being committed to it is just, I'm just very, very humbled. So uh, today we want to talk about praying the will of God. Think about some of the um, the big decisions that that you've had to pray through in your life, right? Like where you're like, Lord, I really need to know. You know, I know for me, I remember when I was thinking about getting engaged to my wife and being married, like, you know, like this is a lifelong commitment. It's a big decision. Uh, she probably should have prayed harder than I did, but, uh, you know, you know, you really, you know, pray like, God, what, what is your will in this situation? Or, you know, maybe some of you are thinking about a job shift right now, right? And you're just thinking like, man, God, what, you know, should I make this move? And, or maybe you're thinking about making a large purchase, you know, that has a lot of financial risk and you're praying that through. And, and I, you know, we could go on and on and on, but uh, we all have these moments in our lives where there is, you know, uh, understandably maybe a life altering decision, you know, understand the impact of a big decision. And, and you seek the Lord, and you say, Lord, what indeed is your will? And so as we look at the prayer of Jesus this morning, you know, last week we, we prayed, you know, that uh, kind of the, the riverbanks of prayer, that, that God is our Father, and there's an intimacy there, right, a closeness to God our Father, but He's also in heaven, and He's holy, and there's a, there's a separateness, and these are kind of the riverbanks of of prayer, but then Jesus, in teaching us to pray, says uh, in Matthew six ten. Look at this. He says, "We can pray, God, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." And so, you know, t- thinking through, like praying through the will of the Lord. What what does that mean? And so, so let's just unpack this this morning. Point number one, right? Your kingdom come is how teach- Jesus teaches us to pray. Our prayers, so we're riverbanked in our understanding of the Lord, that he's close to us and there's an intimacy, but he's distant. And we pray inside the riverbanks of the God who is. And now Jesus in teaching us to pray is the emphasis of our prayer now is about actually the kingdom of God. And so letter A, a disciple prays for God's program to be fulfilled right? That is the kingdom of God. And I'm going to show you some verses this morning that I think will really highlight for you the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, is uh, I would define it this way, it's the rule of Christ in the hearts of men. Now, I'm using men generally, men and women. It's the rule of Christ in the hearts of men and women. And so, the pursuits and the prayers of a disciple are surrounded by who God, who God wants us to be in Christ. Like it's surrounded by holiness and humility and righteousness and peace and goodness and joy and justice. And so the kingdom of God spreads person to person through the preaching of the gospel, through the ministry of local churches. I want you to hear that again. Like, I'm really, really committed to this idea that the kingdom of God spreads person to person through the preaching of the gospel and the ministry of local churches, which, by the way, is why I'm so passionate about local churches. It's why I'm so passionate about you being a part of a local church. It's why I have no, I'm unashamed in standing before you and saying, I think that you should be, if this is your home church, you should be 
a member of this church, being a member of this church, saying, I'm committed to serving the Lord with other believers in this local church, right? That's why I'm so unashamed in the place and the ministry of the local church. It's why I want you to, to be a part of a small group. Did you know that in the New Testament, there's over 30 one another commands? Love one another, bear one another's burdens, pray for one another. I could go on and on. You don't do that just sitting in corporate worship on Sunday morning or even by watching online. You do that by being in a group of other believers, other disciples, and you get to know them and you get to care for them and you get to share in one another's spiritual journeys and you get to share in the burdens of life together. It's why I'm so passionate about this. It's why I can stand in front of you unashamedly and ask you to give to this local church and because we are serious-minded about taking the gospel and planting campuses all across the peninsula and maybe further if the Lord gives us opportunity because we want to multiply the local church because we believe that the gospel being preached through local churches is how the kingdom comes, amen? So that the gospel changes hearts and lives of people. And we as disciples, we link arms together, pulling our time, talent, and treasure Together, we're better together so that we can further this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, that we're praying that God's kingdom would come. Now, letter B, how specifically does the kingdom of God come on earth, right? If it spreads through the hearts of men, through the gospel, all right, so how does that happen? Well, number one, it's conversion, right? Our hearts have to be converted, they have to be made alive to spiritual things. Jesus, in talking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus was a Pharisee that snuck out at night to meet with Jesus because he knew that meeting with Jesus was a risk to his profession and even his life. And he comes to Jesus and he asks if how he could see the kingdom of God. And so in John chapter 3, Jesus said, answers him and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, here's the kingdom language, he cannot what, church? What's it say? He cannot what? See the kingdom of God, right? Jesus goes on to explain that you need, you and I need a spiritual rebirth that is gifted to us only through the work of the Holy Spirit, and unless the Holy Spirit converts our hearts and regenerates our hearts and our minds, we will be unable to see the kingdom of God. The scriptures teach that we, it's not that we're sick and we need a physician. The scriptures actually teach we are spiritually dead and what we need from God is spiritual new life. And this comes from the work of the, of the Holy Spirit sent by the Father to draw us to Jesus Christ. The, spiritual, the miracle of spiritual rebirth and conversion is a gracious gift of God's Spirit alone. And it is only when we are spiritually reborn that we can even see the kingdom of God. That's why when you become a Christian, you become so weird to the rest of the world, right? Because you're seeing something they don't see, right? They're, you're seeing the way, and when you become a Christian, it flips your worldview upside down. 
it's, it literally is opposite world from the rest of the way your neighbors think and your coworkers think and the way we think. So you want to, uh, so I'm going to partner something together here. You're wondering, maybe you're wondering, why are we doing an eight-week series that the first four weeks is prayer and the second four weeks is evangelism? Because we want you to begin to pray that God's Spirit would go out across the world and begin to do the heart-tilling soil work of the preparation of the gospel, regenerating and converting and having eyes to see and ears to hear the kingdom of God. And then the final four weeks of this is we are going to teach you to go out and share the gospel, that the gospel would fall on hearts that have already been prepared by the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? And so how do we see the kingdom of God? You can't see the kingdom of God unless the Holy Spirit converts you. And so we are beginning to pray, God, who is it in my life that I'm praying about that doesn't know you? The Holy Spirit's already doing the work, amen? And so I want you to be praying about that. The kingdom of God is moving and preparing. How does the kingdom of God come? Number two, repentance and belief. Repent and believe, Jesus says. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, and you're gonna, again, you're going to see the kingdom language, okay? Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel and saying, the time is fulfilled, let's say this next part together, and the kingdom of God is at hand, right? So what is the kingdom of God that we're praying? Your kingdom come, right? The, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. How do you see the kingdom? You repent and you believe in the gospel, right? And so the, as we turn from repentance is turning from our sin and believing in God's rescue plan, which is the person and work of Christ. Once we have adopted the gospel into our hearts and minds, we then, number three, begin to live according to the values of the kingdom. Our, and it's kind of what I said in point number one, like we begin to see the world differently. We begin to value things differently. We, 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 it, it, uh, the kingdom of God changes your priorities, right? The kingdom of God touches your timeline. The kingdom of God, once you're a follower of Jesus, it touches your checkbook. The kingdom of God touches everything that we do. It touches your workplace. It touches your parenting. It touches your marriage. Like it, 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 it leavens everything about your life, and you begin to value things differently. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, and you're going to begin, I hope, as, you, as I'm showing you this morning, as you read the, your Gospels on your own, you're going to see how Jesus over and over talks about the king. You're a part of something way bigger uh, than, than, than just what you see in this world. You're a part of a new kingdom. And in Matthew 13, Jesus tells us this is how we value the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus teaches, Matthew 13, 44, is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, and he covered it up, and then in his joy, what's he do? He goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field. This is one of my favorite stories of Jesus, actually, right? So, so here's the picture he's painting. You're, you're walking across your neighbor's lawn, and your foot sinks in a hole, and you, you, you dig out the hole, and you realize there's a treasure chest of gold in your neighbor's yard, right? And your neighbor probably maybe, maybe does, maybe doesn't know it's there. And 
and you start digging through the gold coins and you're like, holy cow, there's a million dollars in gold coins here. Now, for you to lift that gold box off that property and, and to go take it would be stealing, right? So you, you're not a thief. So what do you do? You, you, you go to your, you knock on your neighbor's door and you say, I'd like to buy your house, right? And let's just say the house is worth 300000 and you go up to your neighbor and you're like, I'm, I want to buy your house for 400000 and your neighbor's like, yes, please, right? Like, you're going to overpay for my house. And so then in your joy, you go and liquidate everything, right? You have a yard sale. You put every piece of furniture you own out on the front deck, you know, or out on the front driveway. You just, whatever people offer you, you take it, right? And uh, how many of y'all, any yard sailors in here, right? They're not going to admit it. Well, maybe, you know, like, yes, I yard sale, right? Yeah, and so I, I, I hold, every time my wife and I do a yard sale, I'm like, we did all this work and we made 100 bucks. We should have delivered pizzas for Domino's. It would have been faster, you know, so, and, uh, but there's always that early bird person that shows up and you have something that's worth like 150 bucks. They're like, I'll give you a dollar. Yeah, no, I'll wait on that, okay? I'd rather donate it before I sell it for a dollar, you know, kind of thing. Are you that person? Anyway, so I'm glad you're here this morning. We're glad you're here. Um, so, right, and so you're yard sailing everything, you're liquidating everything, and all of your family and all of your neighbors think you're crazy. Why? You're way overpaying for that house, right? Why are you taking, you're overpaying, you're liquid, you're getting rid of everything. You're crazy, your neighbors say, but you're doing it in your joy. Why are you joyful? You're not losing anything, right? You know, the minute you buy that property, it's a win, right? So when you're a follower of Jesus and you're exchanging your time, your talent, and your treasure for the things of the kingdom, are you losing anything? You're not losing a thing. It's a gain. It's, 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 a, like, it's a no-brainer. And so once you see the kingdom and you repent and you believe and you adopt the values of the kingdom, you, suddenly, the, the, as you exchange the things of this earth for the things of the kingdom of God, it, do, it doesn't feel at all like a loss. It's totally a win. How do we advance the kingdom? Number four, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one because we're actually going to preach on this in a couple of weeks. But we advance the kingdom by fulfilling the commissioning of Christ. We advance the kingdom by fulfilling the commissioning of Christ. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, this is something I want to say here. It's very, very important. That Jesus commissions his disciples to take the gospel to all nations, and it's bookended with his kingly authority. So this is the risen Christ who is about to send into heaven, and then what, is, what does the Scriptures tell us to do? And he's seated where? Where is Christ seated? At the right hand of the Father. So the, the idea there is that Jesus is ruling and reigning right now. Now, is he fully ruling and reigning? No, we are a part of the final move of God of extending his kingdom into the hearts of men and women. And God, in his grace and mercy, invites us to be a part of extending his kingly rule. And in his kingly rule, his resurrected kingly rule, he says, I am bookending this commissioning I'm giving you. 
with all authority, I'm with you, even to the end of the age. So as you begin to pray for your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus, and you are praying that God would give you the courage to go up and talk to them about Jesus, or invite them to your church services one week, that the risen Christ is with you in power, working on their heart already. Isn't that cool? Right? So be careful if you start praying for lost people, especially if you're like me and you're an introvert, right? And you, you actually can only take people in small doses, right? And what happens is you start praying for them, they start showing up in your life. And you're like, oh, this is, I didn't really want them to come now, right? So like, but they do. They show up when you don't want them to. And because God is working around you, right? And then number five, this is really, really cool too. The kingdom of God will be victorious. Amen? See, We've lived in a really, really blessed country, really blessed. Um, and as we're seeing the country pivot to a post-Christian culture, we think we're losing. Yes? You're watching the news like, oh, this is so depressing. I actually think in my lifetime, there's never been better soil for the gospel to go forward. Because the more people get their depravity and won't do whatever you want, they're still not going to find life and joy. And they're going to look at Christians. And maybe even if, as we get squeezed a little bit, maybe even as we have to suffer a little bit, they're going to look at Christians and they're going to go, what do you have that I don't? And we're going to say, we have this gospel hope called Jesus Christ. You are not going to find life in all the things that the world tells you to find. You're going to find it in Christ. And I think the gospel in America has never had a better opportunity to shine brighter. I'm super excited about the gospel. Amen? And it will be victorious. And we see this in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, right, where the apostle John gets this little glimpse into heaven. He says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. See, we have this idea that the kingdom and the gospel won't be successful. By the way, when God began to move in the gospel and somebody began to plant the seeds of the gospel, he started with a guy named Abraham. And what did he tell Abraham? Look up to the stars of the heavens. How many stars can you number? And what Abraham said, I can't number them. That's how many children you're going to have, Abraham. And he was talking spiritually which we're going to look at a couple weeks from now in Luke chapter 19 is Jesus talking to Zacchaeus, right? That, that this Father Abraham thing is a spiritual thing. Let's go back to Revelation 7. And I looked, and behold, a great number, a multitude that no one could number from every nation and all the tribes and the peoples and the languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand, and they're crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Now, unless you guys think that I'm like exaggerating, like Sean, you're like overly optimistic. And those of you who know me well know I am a pessimist of pessimists, all right? Uh, man, I, you know, the glass is half empty, no doubt about it. You know, when my wife brings home a jar of peanut butter, because I love peanut butter, as you can tell, and so I love peanut butter. And, and when it, like, as soon as we take a few scoops, I'm like, you need to go get another jar or two. We're running low, all right? And she's like, why do you do that? Because I'm a pessimist, okay? That's why. And so, but I'm an optimist when it comes to the gospel. Did you know that recent studies tell us there's about 
So I don't know, what's there, about seven and a half, almost eight billion people on the planet. Did you know that there are two and a half billion Christians on the planet? You ready for this? What if in next year, every single Christian led one other person to Christ? That means you, right? So eight o'clock, man, we're starting to fill up at eight o'clock. I don't have to start a 6 a.m. service. Okay, like, hey, you really need to come at six. You know, the worship team will be like, no, no, you know, no. Uh, Like, imagine if everybody that calls Coastal their home next year leads one person to Jesus and says, come with me and grow as a disciple at Coastal Church. We would, like, have no room, literally have no room. So I'm a I'm an optimist, right? That we could share the gospel and we could have five billion believers on the planet by this time next year. How awesome would that be? Amen. It'd be awesome, right? And so we receive this message: the the gospel is going to win through local churches spreading the gospel of Jesus to every tribe, tongue, and nation. We join with what our God is doing, spreading His kingdom in the hearts of man. And when this happens. What we're going to see next is the next part of the prayer of Jesus, right? That we will see God's will or your will, point number two, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, God's will is finally and fully carried out. That's letter A. So in heaven, God's will is finally and fully carried out. So in heaven, there's no sin And in heaven, there's no disobedience. In heaven, everyone's going to live according to the word of the Lord. And so Jesus, as he's teaching us to pray, he's saying, I want you to pray. The first, uh, so verse 9 is the riverbanks of our prayer about who we're praying to, God. Now, Jesus begins to focus in our prayer, and he says, you know, I want you to pray about the kingdom of God spreading in the hearts of men, and the overflow of that will be God's will be done, right? That who God is, is happening in the lives of people. There's no greater thing that I think we could hope for or pray for. And so since Jesus taught us to pray this way, all right, what I would like to do is begin to unpack for you some of the verses in the scripture that say this is the will of God. So let her be. God's will, the first thing as we unpack, what does it mean to pray the will of God? Okay. God's will for you, let her be, is that you would believe in Jesus Christ. That's number one, right? That the, This is kind of the kingdom principle. John chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus said this, for this is the will of my Father. Let me stop there again so you're clear. This is the will of my Father. What is the will of God? This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up, or raise them up on the last day. The will of God is that you would know Jesus, the Son of God. The will of God for you is that you would acknowledge you're a sinner, you would turn from your sin, and believe in the person and the work of Jesus. I'm going to say this over and over and over and over and over again over the coming weeks, because I want you to be equipped to share the gospel. 
I want you to leave here when we're in the community. You talk about Jesus, and someone says, how do I follow Jesus? You know how to do it, right? What is it a person has to know to be connected with their creator through the gospel of Jesus? They have to know that Jesus is God. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. Jesus bodily rose from the grave. And our response to that is to repent, believe in that he is who he said he is, and receive him into our lives. Repent, believe, and receive. Everybody with me now? Some of you may say, well, Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, just repent and believe. Why do I add the word receive to that? I add the word receive because the Greek word for believe means to believe into. In our culture, I fear that believe is head knowledge. So I've added that not to the, just to your understanding. It's repent, believe, and receive Christ into our hearts and into our lives, right? Guess what? That is the will of the Father for you. Now, there's enough people in this room this morning that I suspect, there's a couple of you, that God, by the power of the Spirit, the grace of God, is working on you to give up what you think you know, give up what you think you believe, give up your old life, and the Spirit of God is challenging you. Listen, turn from your sin, receive Christ today, and you're stubbornly refusing the will of the Lord for your life. And I want to encourage you right now, even as I'm talking, say, God, you know what? I turn from my sin, I receive Christ. And when you do that, man, the kingdom's going to go, I see it different. There's something God's doing that's way bigger than just one day I'm going to live on this planet and indulge my flesh and do what I want, and then one day you're going to kick dirt on my grave. Because we just read, what's the will of God for you to know Christ, that you will be resurrected to a new life and live forever and ever and ever in this perfect place where God is with his people. God has so much more for you than you think. That's the will of God. Let her see here in learning the will of God. How do we discern the will of God? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How, church? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. How do we discern the will of the Lord? We're in the Word of God. Why do we do connect, grow, and serve as coastal as our discipleship process? Because in all three of those areas, we're being saturated with the Word of God, that the Word of God is transforming our minds and our thinking, which then transforms our behavior. We want this year, we, how did we start this year? We started this year with a series called Dwell. Anybody remember that? And we wanted you to be, take the year and read the Word of God. Now, maybe you're just onboarding the coastal, and maybe you started and you stopped. Let me encourage you, like, pick up the Dwell booklet and just, it doesn't matter that you started in September. We'll go September to September. Be in the Word of God because as our minds are saturated with the Word of God, we're transformed into knowing the will of the Lord. Letter D, the will of God. It's not complicated. God's will is for us to grow to be more like Jesus. That means in holiness and righteousness. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. This is what the Apostle Paul says. For this is the will of God, your What's that big word there, church? Sanctification, okay? Sanctification means holiness, to grow in holiness and righteousness. Now, here's what's really fascinating. That's very kind of nebulous and out there. Paul now gets really practical on what this means. 
He says that you would abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Listen, when it comes to sexual purity, God has designed, God made sex, okay? It was his idea, uh, and he knows how it best works. And I always say, sex is like fire. Is fire good or bad? You don't know how to answer that. It's, it's neutral, right? I love it in my fireplace when it's properly contained and I'm roasting, you know, marshmallow over and I'm making s'mores. It's got its place. I don't want it running through my attic, right? So, uh, and so, what, so God made it, right? And it's neutral in regard, uh, but, but it has to be in the right confines. And God says it's, the, uh, sex is his gift to one man and one woman in the committed confines of marriage. Outside of that, it's fire running through your attic, all right? And so we, we walk in holiness and righteousness, not like people who just follow their lust and do whatever they want to do, all right? As a Christian, our minds are renewed. We see things different. Verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord, by the way, this is really serious, right? Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us to impurity, but to what, church? Holiness. Therefore, Paul writes, whoever disregards, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but who? But God. He gives the Holy Spirit to you. By the way, when we talk about things like homosexuality, transgenderism, and, and even an affair, or pornography, or having sex before marriage, even heterosexual sex before marriage, like as a church, we have to stand on this is unholy. And we can't bend off of this because this is from God and not from man. So somebody can look at me and or you even, if that's where you stand, and go, well, you're narrow-minded and you're backwoods and you're all of this. But we stand on the word of God as true. And if it's true, then it's good for us. Amen? And so unfortunately, as much as I don't, I don't want to be angry, and I'm not angry, you know, I'm just saying this is what God's word says, and I want you to know the freedom of God's word. Number four on the will of God, the simplicity. Like God's will in some ways is really, really simple, right? We make it really complex sometimes. You know, maybe you're here today, you are praying about a job, you know, and, and these things, big purchases, all those things, but there's really a simplicity of the will of God. First Thessalonians 5, the apostle Paul says this about the will of God. First Thessalonians 5, 16, he says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, you ready? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Think about that. Hey, rejoice always. Anybody here have a difficult week? Yeah, I did too, right? Yeah, some things hit you upside the head. Did you know that even in difficult weeks, we can remind our hearts and minds, you know what? God's still doing something to bring glory and praise to his name. So I can rejoice in all things. And in that, even when I get hit with a difficult thing, I've got, as we learned last week, our Father. He's in heaven. He cares for you. I can pray without ceasing. God, this has been a hard week, and man, this is what I'm struggling with, and I get to go into God's presence. And no matter the circumstance, I can give thanks because I know you hear and I know you're working. It's less about, man, what job should I take or who should I marry? 
And it's a whole lot more about, man, just rejoicing that, God, you're doing things in my life to bring your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so here's my encouragement this morning. I want to see us as a church grow in our discipline of prayer and our theology of prayer and, and how we pray. I've told you the story before, and then I'll wrap this up. I'm actually going to lead us in prayer this morning. I want us to be praying. Uh, I told this story before. For those of you who've been here for a while, you'll say, you told that story before. That's why I tell that, so you don't have to run up and tell me that. So um, when my wife and I first got married, um, I don't know, a year or two into marriage, my father-in-law at the time was a professional soccer coach, and uh, he was coaching a team called the Charlotte Eagles, and the Eagles Eagles kind of have, the Eagles do did and still do actually, but they've gone down a couple divisions, but they were a professional team, but they were Christians. And so they were like a missionary team and they would, they would play um, professional soccer here in the States. And then, um, and then they would like travel internationally and they would play like international teams and they would partner with the local churches like in Africa and they might play, you know, a particular African country's national team. And at halftime, they'd share the gospel and they do kids camps while they were there and share the gospel. It was a really, really cool ministry. Uh, so most of the, all the players, to my knowledge, were believers, but they, they were high-level professional athletes. So we're driving to the, they made it to the playoffs this one year. So we're, we're driving to the playoff game and uh, we're newly married. And my wife's like, hey, let's, let's pray for the Eagles. Let's pray that they win today. And I said, um, I don't think God cares who wins. I, I can't pray for that. That was an uncomfortable drive for the next hour, you know. So we had this theological debate, you know, like, yeah, you should be able to pray for that. I'm like, I don't think, the only thing God cares about is that the Seahawks beat the Denver Broncos last week. That's the only thing I prayed about when it comes to sports, you know. But, uh, you know, so, you know, like, and so we have this argument, really, the whole way up about the theology of prayer. Can you pray for a team to win? And, and so we get to the game. It's an incredible game. Uh, it, they play to a tie. They go into overtime. They stay tied into overtime. And it goes in, if you know your soccer, it goes into penalty kicks where it's like a one-on-one. A player kicks the ball at the goalie. It's one-on-one, very intense. And it takes, they give the players about a five-minute break. And during this five-minute break, and I, you know, I don't know, there was a lot of Charlotte Eagle fans there. And a lot of them are Christians because they know it's a Christian team. And, uh, and so somebody stands up and says, Let's pray for the Eagles right now. And my well-meaning mother-in-law stands up. There's, all, I don't know, hundreds, maybe about a thousand people there. She goes, my son's a pastor. My son-in-law is a pastor. He'll pray. <laughs> to which my wife goes, he don't believe you should pray for a soccer game. And I just put my head down. So, so here's, you know, Sean Brown, old Baptist boy, you know, head down. And so this lady looks at me with scorn. And listen, let's just be honest. She comes from a more charismatic church, you know, and she stands up. And she's like, well, I'll pray then. And she starts praying. And literally, she's praying for 10,000 angels on the foot of every soccer player. I'm like, I don't think Jesus called 10,000 angels to take him off the cross. Like, I you know, but like all that to say, like, here's the riverbanks of prayer, right? I see God as in heaven and holy, and he don't care about soccer. And she saw God as father, and he cares about a soccer game. And so which is it? Yes, right? Yes. I'm probably not going to pray that prayer. She is. That's why she's part of the body. Praise God she's there because, you know, I was uncomfortable doing it. 
And so there's the riverbanks of the character of God, right, to pray. And now today, God gets, Jesus teaches us a little, to be a little more specific, right? He says, I want you to pray. So here's your God, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. This is the God you're praying to. Now, let's get specific. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so let's do that this morning, right? I'm going to invite the worship team up. You guys can come on out. But I want us to bow our heads this morning, and I'm going to lead us through three things. So bow your heads, close your eyes, and we're going to pray silently. And I'm just going to kind of give you a, a prayer point that I think will help teach you, not only praying this morning, but also teach you how to pray. And so Jesus said, when we pray, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we've learned that the kingdom is the gospel going forward in the hearts of men and women. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray silently for someone in your life that doesn't know Christ. And I want you to pray, God, send your Holy Spirit to begin to work on their hearts. Go in advance of my relationship with them and begin to mold them and shape them and grow them. Pray that God would lead them to repentance and faith in Jesus. Jesus taught us to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so if God's will is going to be done, he wants us to be more like Christ. He wants us to flee from sin. So here's what I want you to pray this morning. I want you to pray for an area in your life that you're struggling with sin. And I want you to ask God, God, help me to really turn from it, to repent and to trust your word. And to have your Holy Spirit guide me. I want you to pray that God would give you the courage to live out your struggle in community. You, you would find a trusted brother or sister in Christ to say, hey, this is a sin struggle for me that I hate. And, and I want God's will to be done in my life. And then finally this morning, we learned that God's will for us is to give thanks and rejoice in all circumstances. So I really can't think of a better way to end our time this morning and think of something and pray and say, God, I'm really, really thankful. I want you to think about a time that there's a circumstance that's been difficult. Say, God, I'm still rejoicing because I know you're doing something. You're working when I can't see you working. I know that you're still doing something. We praise you, God, that you don't waste any hurts, any difficult circumstances, that you're using all things to bring praise and glory to your name. And we pray as Christ taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven.
hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's in Jesus' most precious name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer this morning and you do want to pray in community, we have our prayer team. They're making their way up. They're always here for you after the service. Please don't leave without, you know, you had a tough week. You need someone to pray with you. If you don't know Christ, you'd like to receive Christ. The Lord's working on you today. Come talk to one of our prayer team members, man. They're equipped to walk you through what the Bible says about following Jesus, and they would love to pray with you. We have a lot to be thankful for, don't we, church? And, uh, man, really, really grateful you're here. It was great to worship with you this morning. Let's go out singing praises to the Lord this morning. Let's stand. Let's sing together. And uh, let's go out being ready for the week to give praise in all circumstances. Let's stand and sing together.